I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 4. My goal is to finish this uh, chapter. There are some doubters out there I already hear, um, but uh, we'll do our best. Uh, we are looking forward to our family meeting as well at 7. I'll give you some instructions afterwards for that. Um, this is a good day. Good to see the family together, our membership gathered uh, to hear God's word and then to rejoice together with what God is doing here at Riverbend. And that's the goal of a family meeting. And so we'll talk more about that in a minute. Exodus chapter 4, let's pray. Father, thank you for a chance to worship you tonight, uh, to be together. As Hayward mentioned, we praise you that you call and gather people from all walks of life, from all ages, ethnic diversity. You're just amazing, Lord. You know who's are yours and you draw them and your grace is irresistible. And so you have made us a family here. So we thank you that we can study your word together. And then we can talk about uh, our family together, of how we function here and, and serve together, Lord. And so uh, what a nice evening you've planned for us tonight, Lord. May you be blessed by everything that's said and done here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we started into Exodus 4 last week, and it is a more in-depth passage than, than I realize. You, you think, well, this is a burning bush, this is, and this is the follow-up, and his objections, and then he's going to go off to Egypt. But there's so many interesting details in this text. But I think what's most fascinating about it that hit me, I was telling Gina today, is, is I had not seen the value of God's calling in his life. And, and really, this for those of us that are in ministry, there's some things I'm going to say that will really resonate with us that have been called to ministry. But for anyone who desires to follow God, there are there are there's a manuscript here of, of how to do that, and and it's and it's an honest manuscript because there's failures in this. There's there's a doubt that comes into Moses's heart and mind. There, it's a good manuscript, so it's very human, but still in the end, he obeys God. And all of us, God challenges us to follow him and walk in obedience. And I think Moses is a great lesson here um, as we learn. You remember last week, we began to look at the third and fourth objection that he had. Verse one, he says, look, they're not going to listen to me. Um, uh, I just, they're not going to believe me or listen to me. And he's still trying to get out of this thing. He does not want to go and so the Lord says hey what's in your hand and in, you know, it's the staff at that point it's Moses staff you remember now somewhere in this story it becomes God's staff he'll tell him you take my staff now but right now it's it's Moses staff because Moses is, is very his faith is weak so he tells him throws it down turns to the snake he grabs it turns back he goes I want you to go show my people that and tell them you have come from the God of your fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob in a and that I have appeared to you. And then he begins to tell them some other things. He says, put your hand in there. It turns to leprosy. It was just a terrible, terrible disease back then. We did not have the cures we have today. Uh, that was a death nail in, in most cases. And then yet God shows him that that can be gone. So he's controlling the animal world. He's controlling the health world. And then he says, furthermore, you're going to go to the Nile. You're going to get some water out of there. You're going to dump it out. It's going to be blood. <laughs> Now he's going to show his control over life. Because the Nile, the Nile was the life. It meant life. And, and, and yet with all of this, he comes up with his fourth objection. In verse 10. Remember this. Please, Lord, he says. I have never been eloquent. And so now he's, he's down to his final card. I can't talk, Lord. I, I don't have the ability to do that. You've got to get somebody else. 
And the Lord says, look, I already got Aaron on the way. I made your mouth. I make people talk. I make the mute. I do all of those things. Believe in me. And he really challenges this, and he brings up this final objection. Verse 13, Moses is basically saying, okay, send someone to go do it. He's, in the Hebrew, it's so much clearer. It's send anybody but me, I'm not going. Then we see the wrath of God, the anger of God in verse 14. Could you imagine that? I mean, face to face with God, he's talking to you, and then the Bible says he's angry with you. Now, remember, we discussed his anger is not like ours. It does not have any self-motives in it. It's not sinful. And yet, he rebukes him and says, look, your brother Aaron is on the way. He will speak to you. And he really lays out the, the description of a prophet in verse 15 through 16. I'll speak to you. You'll speak to him. He'll speak to the people. And so here, Moses is commissioned to be a prophet. Now, when you want to briefly look at these last few verses this morning, I call this sermon, The Faithfulness of God is Our Only Hope for Peace. And, and I'm talking about a peace now because uh, Jethro's going to say, go in peace to him. He's going to use the word salom to him in the Hebrew. Uh, it's the way it's recorded. But I, I, as Christians, we have in a standing in peace, right? We are justified in Christ, and so we're no longer at wrath, war with God, and so we have a a standing of peace. And yet, Christians daily give up what? Daily peace. Because we don't want to obey God. And we fight Him on things. And so, I'm so thankful that God is faithful despite, despite our Failure to follow a God who speaks from burning bushes, <laughs> who does these type of things. And so uh, just think about the faithfulness of God that only he can provide us with our peace. And when we turn to him, that's where we find that peace. Number one, righteous obedience involves preparation. Look at verse 18. Then Moses departed, and he returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, please let me go, that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now, here we begin to see this obedience. He's, he's done with his objections. There is somewhat of a level of obedience starting to take place. Notice the Bible says Moses departed, and he begins to move to obey God. He's now left the burning bush. He's been talking with the God who was, who is, and is to come. Not who's, who he's talking, the I am God. He's been speaking to him. And now he walks out of his presence. He knows he needs to go home. It's not some dream. He's, it's, 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 it's this inescapable mission that God has sent him on. And God is calling him to righteous obedience. I am calling you to do this for me. He has fought against it all the way, but now he seems to Except that notice that he turns his flocks home doubtlessly. He's not out there just by himself. He was out there with his father-in-law's flocks. He turns those and he takes the first step of obedience. This is what happens to us when God awakens us and starts to move us and wants us to do things that we know from his word. He has to, there's a first step of obedience. People say, you know, I, I think I've been fighting God's will. I, God called me to this. I've never done it. Stop, obey. What's the first step of obedience? When, when you know the truth that God has given you, you've read your Bible, you know God wants you to do something, there should be a first step to obedience. 
take it. Take that step and obey God. For Moses, it was to go home and tell his family what God had told him he was to do. Notice in verse 18, the narrative is somewhat limited here, but I think you can imagine this. He goes back to tell his father-in-law. He's running his father's outfit, so he's got to tell him, look, I'm, I'm giving you my, my two-week notice, but it's only about an hour. Um, I, I got to go. And, and so you can imagine what happens. Have you ever told your, your family something that's very earth-shaking? I, I remember when Gene and I were going in the ministry, I, I know this time, we sat down with our families and said, you know, we're young, um, we're going into full-time ministry. Oh my goodness, you're going to starve to death. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're, we're going to take care of you. You're going to, you know, I mean, all the things coming from first-generation ministry people. We had no families on either side that had ever been in ministry. And we heard it all. You're, you're not going to make it. You're, you know, just complaints. Fear came out. Can you imagine this? And, and he's taking Jethro's daughter and his grandson with him. You know that, parents, grandparents. So you can imagine what was going on. The narrative is limited. It doesn't tell us all those, but, but just thinking out the expression that must have taken place. I mean, maybe there was a conversation of his failures in the past. Jethro, I'm scared to go back. I tried to do things on my own. I ended up killing a guy. I mean, the, the, when you get real, when God's really dealing with you, you don't withhold truth. You start to speak truth. I'm going back. I've not been the greatest example I ran away. When I was there, I didn't handle things. Maybe all that comes out. That first step of obedience is speaking truth, expressing uncertainty, but, but notice the faith to move forward. And it's weak. It's weak. Um, he, he's expressing humility towards God's plan, but it's not his. And so he's trying to accept it. And notice what he says. God wants me to go back, but I'm not sure anybody's alive. So he's still not buying into the plan, is he? Well, why would God send him and say, look, you're going to go and you're going to come back and worship this mountain? See, he's still struggling with believing God's word's true. And you and I do that. You know what the Bible says about issues in your life. And then we kind of put a little spin on it, don't we, every once in a while? Well, we'll just go and see if anybody's alive. Why would he send you with a rod that turns into a snake and blood and all that? But he's He's moving. He's moving in the right direction. One of the things people in counseling hear me say all the time, it is direction, not perfection. Too many Christians are trying to find perfection. We're talking about direction. Progressive sanctification is moving in a direction. And so we start to see Moses move that. I love Jethro's phrase to him. Halach, salam, he says, go in peace. Home oh, peace. Jethro was a mature man. We see every time we see him do something in the scriptures, he's helping Moses obey God better. That's a great father-in-law. And you father-in-laws in here, that's, that's what we should be like. Always helping our son-in-laws move towards Christ or those within our care. I love Jethro for those things. And so Jethro proves over and over that he is a faithful man. B, allow God to fight your battles. Notice in verse 19, the, now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. I think that's an important verse. 
think sometimes we're afraid to obey God because of circumstances out there that are outside of our control. He says, look, I've taken care of this. We may know God's direction, but control is another thing. We, we, I think God wants me to do this. I believe the scriptures are clear of how to be a husband, a wife, a child, um, how to be a good employer, employer. I understand those things, but yet ugh, I, I don't have control. And that's, that's what God asks us to give up, to trust him with. And so here he says, look, I fight your battles. The men who hate you and are looking for your life, I've already taken care of them. Go. Go. And he, and, he, and he does that when we trust him. He puts away some of those fears that we may have. But we must take those steps of, of righteousness, of righteous obedience, of saying, okay, God, I know you've prepared my path. May I trust you in this. This also could be the means that, that God's laying down. I've, I've taken care of that Pharaoh. I'm bringing up another one, the one that I plan to harden his heart. It's an amazing statement. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. C, righteous obedience takes courage. Notice verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his son and mounted them on a donkey. That takes courage. And returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses also took the, look at this, the staff of God in his hand. It's no longer his staff. You can see the change that's going on. Though he's still weak, we understand that weak faith sometimes and that uh, struggle of obedience, but he's changing. He's believing, to he's believing in God and he's starting to follow him. So faith means actions. You can't say, I have faith, but I don't have deeds. The Bible says in verse 20, so Moses took his wife and his son and mounted a donkey and he returned, just like God told him to do it. He struggled and fought for a little while, threw out some objections, but in the end, he obeyed God. Do you obey God when he calls you to do something? How long does it take you? How many objections do you have? I mean, that's, you, we have to think about this when we go through this. Faith has, has deeds to it. Faith overcomes fears. James tells us, but, but prove yourself doers of the word. This is the word of God. God said, go to Egypt. Be a doer of the word. Not merely, what James says, and not merely hearers, you remember this phrase? Who delude themselves. So if you're just a hearer of the Bible, you come to church regularly, you hear the Bible taught, but you don't obey it, the Bible says you delude yourself. You know there's a lot of hearers inside Christianity? Lots of hearers. Churches are full of them, particularly in the South, of hearers of the word of God. True faith is doers. True faith says, Okay, God, I, I'm not quite sure as a husband I, to be a picture of Christ, but I'm going to take that step. I'm going to start studying what you, how you love us and how you care for us. I'm going to start taking that step to obey you and be a doer of the word of God. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror and for, and for once he has looked at himself and then gone away, he immediately forgets. So that's what hearers do. They come, oh, that was a great sermon, Pastor. Well, what was great about it? I don't know, but I gotta go. Cracker Barrel's waiting. Just hearers. Just hearers. I'm just a hearer. There's time to do. And I love this verse 20 as I thought about this. Moses took his wife, he took his son, mounted a donkey, and obeyed God. What are you not obeying God in? What does he want you to do that you're not doing? Notice he has now the staff of God. It's no longer the Moses' staff, it's the staff of God. And Moses really 
grabs onto this. You remember later we'll look at this in Acts, I mean in Exodus chapter 17 when we get there, the great battle and, and Moses tells Joshua, you choose, you choose men for us and you go out and fight um, uh, and, and I'll go on this mountain, this mountain and I'll have, and he says this, quote, I will have the staff of God with me. This is a changing point. He, he no longer has his own personal, I, I thought about this today, I thought, I wonder where he picked that thing up. I still find stuff that I have in trunks that I was out riding and I grabbed this or that. And I, I'm, I wonder. Somewhere along the line, he picked up this piece of stick, this piece of wood that was his staff for a long time and now it is the staff of God. And this thing gets stretched over Red Seas. This thing strikes rocks. This thing's held up and victory comes. I mean, this is an amazing staff. I mean, this is one we'd put in the Smithsonian if we could ever find it. Probably start churches or build a church on top of it in some way. But he believes in it, that it's God's now. And I think this is precious. D, study, know, and obey God's word. Look what he does in verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you, this is the instructions, obey. Read the word, know the word, obey it. See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. See, when you love God's word, you start to know what's God's and what's not. And God tells Moses, look, you go back and you see that you perform this, that you obey this. You, there's my word, you, 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 you study my word, you know my word, and you obey my word. Lord, we pray for Michelle just right now as she struggles with a seizure. Give those women wisdom as they care for her. Thank you for her, Lord. Thank you for her life, that she knows you. Please help her through this. In Jesus' name. Verse 21, again, tells us what he's supposed to be doing. When you go back, see that you perform these things. Show my power, not yours, Moses. I think that's one of the things we get lost in. Sometimes we think it's our ministry, something we do. It is what God does. But then he says some hard things here. Notice this, into 21. I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. And then you will say to Pharaoh, listen to this. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. That's why we as a church have not given up on Israel. We still believe God has a plan and for them. And these are kind of statements that, that we see throughout the scriptures. This is my son. He's going to be very rebellious, but, but he loves him, doesn't he? And then verse 23, and, and these are difficult, but notice what he says. Let my son go that he may serve me. This is what Moses is supposed to say to Pharaoh. But you, ha but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. That's quite a statement. How would you like to be the messenger of that? That doesn't go over well with men who think they're gods. It is quite a statement. But God has charged Moses to study God's word, know God's word, and obey it, even when it is difficult, even when it's hard to say things. I think so often as Christians, we need to say hard things lovingly to people, but we refuse to do it because we're more concerned about what people think about us. God wants us to handle his word right. At times we have to be careful of emotions and feelings and experiences to, to reinterpret God's word. God says, I will harden his heart. 
God says, I'll harden his heart. And we'll study what that means because that's a very particular phrase of what God does and what he doesn't do and what he allows and where he keeps people. It's a very important phrase. We'll learn more as we go along. But know the priorities of God. Israel is my son. I'll have mercy on whom I've had mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I'm compassionate. That's what the Bible teaches. But also there's a lesson here. The wages of sin is what? The nation of Egypt and most people in that had rejected the living God. They did not want to follow him. They wanted to worship the frogs and the flies and the Nile and the pharaohs. And sin kills. E, surround yourself with godly people and repent quickly. Look at verse 24. This is an amazing event that happens somewhere along the way. It seems like even till he gets even back to the, to the burning bush and the mount that was there, somewhere between leaving home and back to that area where, where Aaron's going to join him, this amazing passage takes place. Notice verse 24. Now it came to place, came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. That's Moses he's speaking about. Whoa, hold on. Hold the phone. Wait a minute. We, we've been through all these chapters now. You're his man. You're called. This was all. What, why is God wanting to put this man to death? Why is such a strong threat here? Verse 25 gets even more confusing. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. Verse 26, so he, God, let him alone. At that time she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. Now, the Abrahamic covenant was very clear at this time. It wasn't, you know, you think, well, hey, how did he know? A lot of people ask me about this passage. They go, that's kind of unfair. The law wasn't given yet. Whoa, 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 whoa. Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. This is my covenant speaking to Abraham. They knew this, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants, including Moses, after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Drop down to verse 14. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh on his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people as he has broken my covenant. Moses knew this. And it's interesting, this is a narrative so we won't have all the story, but, but we have to understand there's something going on here. Number one, Moses is going to be the mediator between God and his people. He wants him to be an example. Those of us that are pastor elders here, uh, we, we've all been through and constantly remind ourselves of the standards of 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, passage after passage that reminds us that our job as leaders is to be an example. So I, I want you to understand this, that first and foremost, he is going to be the mediator between God and man, and he's not obeyed God. He knew what to do, but did not do it to him that does that. It is what? Sin. And so there's a problem there. Now, he's returning to Egypt. He's, he's this anointed rule. He's representing Yahweh, and he hasn't been an example. So God sees fit to do something. The Bible says he's about to kill him, it says. That's pretty serious, isn't it? And it doesn't say how, maybe sickness, the sword of the Lord, the angel of death. I don't know. He, God does several things throughout the scriptures, how he takes life in the scriptures. But something's going to happen. But obedience stops discipline. It stops judgment. 
Obedience does that. Some people go through a lot of things in their life, and you go, and they come meet with you, and you go, well, do you know, how are you doing? You start laying out their life, and you begin to go, well, you're, there's areas of disobedience. Do you know? Well, I know, but, you know, God will forgive me. I was told that not very long ago by someone living in sin. Well, I know it's sin, but God will forgive me. How do you like the hand of God? You want it comforting you or disciplining you? Which one do you want? And so we see God do this. And, and here there's an act of obedience that takes place. We'll, we'll note it here in a minute. But the narrative is unclear. We don't quite know exactly what's going. Here's some of my thoughts. Maybe Moses failed to lead and God said, that's enough. You're not going to go into Egypt and be my leader, my example. Um, uh, uh, really, he's a type of Christ in a lot of ways. He's going to lead his people out of slavery to freedom. You're not going to do that without obeying me. The other possibility is Zipporah had fought him on this. She did not come through this nation of Israel. There's probably a connection to the Midianites to the nation of Israel, meaning one of the sons of Abraham becomes a Midianite. But they, clearly, it's really possible she did not want the circumcision to happen to this boy. But God was setting it apart of a nation, and so there could have been a battle here. And some of this, when you look at this, you begin to realize she may be going, oh, this is my fault, I better deal with this quickly. And yet he didn't lead her through it. That happens all the time in marriages. Men fail to lead, women fail to follow, train wreck. Fireworks, problems, loss of love, affects the children, affects ministry, affects all kinds of things. Someone doesn't lead, someone doesn't follow, train wreck. God has a plan for us. And so she takes out this flint knife, probably some volcanic rock. If you've ever, our ranch had tons of a box of, of arrowheads. These things are sharp, they'll cut you. She, she does a little surgery on uh, Junior and... Uh, and she throws it at the feet of Moses. And this, whatever happened here, this case of this act of blood saves Moses' life. And she obeys, and he obeys, and God stops it. And, and it was interesting, I thought about this, once again, Moses was saved by another woman. I mean, he was saved by his mom, he was saved by uh, the Pharaoh's daughter, he was saved by the, um, his sister, so forth. We've seen that, and once again, he's there. And so, I guess one of the things that maybe we should ask before we just look at this final thought is there are things in our life that we know are rebellion against God. We should not look at this passage and go, boy, yeah, Moses should have obeyed. Wish he would have done that. God takes sin very seriously, doesn't he? What did it cost him? His son. You see, Christians today are, and it's not been just today, but down through Christendom, there has always been groups of Christians who don't take sin seriously. They try to uh, shape a God that fits their life and the, what they want to do and, and, and shape a Bible that way and, and shape all the things and only take what they want out of the Bible and dismiss the rest. But it isn't hard to study God's word. He is very, very serious about sin. And when you see this text, whatever happened here, we don't know completely what happened here because it's just it's a short narrative on it. He was not happy with this. And he deals decisively with sin. And yet he is gracious and makes a way out. When we fall into sin, he's made a way out. For us as New, new Covenant believers of the, of the New Testament, we know his grace through his son gave us that. Let's move on to the last point because we've got to end too. Worship the promise Worshiping the promise-keeping God 
after that scene's over, they move on. And, and of course, the scene's moving along. We're not seeing every day and every moment here. But verse 27, the Bible says, Now the Lord said to Aaron, Go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which, he had, which had been sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and he assembled the elders of, of the sons of Israel. And Aaron, told, Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoke to Moses. And he performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. So here, God has this amazing thing into effect going already. God had Moses already on the move. Notice he gets to the mountain of God and in verse 28, Moses is showing up. Remember back in verse 14, he's complaining about not being able to speak and he says, is there not your brother Aaron, the, the Levite? I know that he can speak and moreover, look at this, behold, he was coming out to meet you. We know this is at least a three-day journey. If not, it could be weeks depending on where, where this was. We don't know where this mountain of God was. So God is already way ahead of Moses. He's got Aaron on the move before he even makes the complaint. And here they meet up. And, and can you imagine this scene? There's, they're, they're walking back to Egypt and they're rehearsing the truths of God. You know, Aaron, you're not going to believe this. But I threw it on my stick. It turned into a snake. <laughs> really? I mean, could you imagine that conversation is going on? I put my hand inside my coat and I brought it out and it was white with leprosy. God told us to do all this stuff in front of Pharaoh. He believes him. And, and, and God has already given Aaron the faith to walk with his brother Moses. Verses 29 and 30, these are, these are completely convinced men now. They believe the word of God. They're now worshiping God in this. They believe the word. They believe the miracles of God. Moses has been tested now. He's seen that both, the, listen, he has seen both the anger of God and he's seen the goodness of God. And now he's ready to go talk for God. And you and I have seen that too, haven't we? You've seen the anger of God. You know how his sin, how what he thinks about sin. You see what he did to his own son on behalf. Where the son, as it was quoted today, he felt that wrath of the father go upon him. He felt the weight of sin go upon him. We watch that take place in scriptures. And yet we have tasted the goodness of God. Over and over and over we've tasted the goodness of God. And so these men now are gripped by that. They're ready to obey, and that's what they did. And God uses these flawed, listen, I want you to hear this, these flawed but obedient men to carry out his word. And there's no one in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ that he does not do that with. Because every one of us will say we're flawed. We're weak on our own. Flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong. He loves to use nobodies. He loves to use flawed people to bring about his glory and grace. But we will not get there if our stubborn hearts won't take the first steps of obedience. Is there issues in your life that need to be confessed? Maybe you need accountability, someone to help you with those things. But move forward. Moses struggled. You struggle. I struggle. But don't stay there in those struggles. God has great things for you to see and do. Father, we thank you for this, the end of this 
passage, Lord, we see this man who clearly um, was not a perfect man. He had lots of excuses. He had a lot of fear. He had a lot of mistakes in his past. He, he's a murderer. He's, he, he's one who flees. And yet, here he is. He is your man. He is now believes you. He believes you are Yahweh. You are the God of gods. He, he, he understands that now. And, and he's put his faith in you by your grace. And now he is now obeying you. And Lord, in his weaknesses, you met every weakness. Every complaint you met, Lord. But Lord, we thank you that he teaches us what obedience does. We thank you that this text teaches us the seriousness of sin. And yet obedience stops the disciplining hand of God or even the judgment hand of God when somebody comes to faith. So Lord, we pray that we would learn from these lessons. Thank you for this great text, Lord. We look forward to studying this together. May you continue to teach us great things about you. Lord, we do pray again for Michelle that you would help her recover from this seizure. Thank you for these dear sisters that are caring for her. Give them wisdom, Lord. We pray that she would be better soon. In Jesus' name, amen.